Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris. And today on the show, we have the one and only Mark Perry. Came off off the farm to talk to us about Chaos Jank of Jank. I promise you're going to enjoy this episode. We're going to get deep, deep, deep into some pretty intricate roles because that's the way Mark thinks. Um, as always, I'm joined on this podcast by the one and only Nick Nanavati, one of the best players on the planet, who's going to help us break all of this down. Hopefully you're listening to us on the Frontline Gaming Network. If you're not, I don't know why you're not there. You should definitely run and subscribe right now. I mean it. Just hit pause, run out there and subscribe because as 9th edition comes in, it is going to be the place to get all the latest and greatest information about 9th edition along with a lot of super good competitively focused podcasts. Okay, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to Mark Perry and get the podcast started. Sure thing. So for those of you who are wondering why John sounds like he's underwater, he's on vacation in the middle of the prehistoric era, and they haven't really figured out the internet yet. So it'll just be mostly me talking and Mark talking, really, this episode. But yeah, Mark is one of my good friends, and actually he's my roommate, and also my partner on Art of War. You've, you've probably seen us around on Twitch or theartofwar40k.com, or maybe this podcast he's been on once or twice. And he is notorious for coming up with weird stuff and somehow making it work and we're not talking about weird stuff that kind of sort of works if you squint really hard it's like weird stuff that legit works and beats up all my armies so uh i'll let mark take it away we're here to talk about mark's weird emperor's children and death guard and chaos thing that's the best way to describe it it's the super soup it's the best way what what is this (laughs) army from top to what is this army well first thanks guys for having me on oh well this army is literally me coming up with an idea Back from a year ago, where I had like foul bite spawns, you know, you fight, you do not count as charging if you're within seven inches of them at the start of the fight phase. And then I was looking at Emperor's Children, but always fight first. Uh, and that's actually like a universal kind of like Celeste rule that a lot of Celeste units have. So I was looking at how it synergizes with that. And I'm like, even if my opponent charges me, I go first because you don't count as charging and I always swing first. I'm like, this is a really cool idea. I'll think about some more on this. And then I put it back down because it dropped. Jumped on some other projects, and but I came back to it this year and really explored on it, and it just kind of kept happening. Like at this point, we had both the Epitome and Abaddon, and those made their way into the list very hard, very fast. But it took me a while to make it how they both work together, and that's really the key part of this list. Is those four units is going to be Noise Marines, the Epitome, Abaddon, and a Foul Blight Spawn. And a little bit of Lucius the Eternal in there is a splash. Why, why don't you just go from the list top to bottom like you're reading it off of a piece of paper so people know what we're talking about. Okay. So the beginning of the list is an Emperor's Children Battalion that consists of a dark, of a dark uh, a demon prince with wings. Uh, he's just there for delightful agonies. He's a good beat stick. You can give him some relics from Emperor's Children that just help make him handy uh, for the situation. You have Lucius the Eternal in there, honestly, because he was just a really good beat stick and give my armies reroll ones. And I just found a lot of value out of him for 85 points. At first, I was just like, oh, he's Lucius. It's going to be funny. It'll be a meme. Uh, well, it turned into be better than a meme. So here he is. Then the list consists of currently my newest variation is three units of 10 Noise Marines with two Sonic, bl- I mean, with two Blastmasters and eight Sonic Blasters in them. Originally, it was two 15 mans. But as I played with it more, I'm like, three 10-mans work better. I cut one troop choice. It becomes a lot more efficient. I have two more Blastmasters, and it was just better uh, in all the ways I want to play in my head. And then the next thing is we have after that is another battalion, but it's a Heretic Stardis battalion. And that consists of Aramon, a Plague Caster, but sometimes as Typhus on some of the builds. Um, and that's the reason Aramon's there is makes sense. It's Warp Time Prescience, the Bollock Strength. He's easy peasy understanding. Uh, then we have you know, the playcaster, sometimes even Typhus, you've seen some different builds, is there for the plus one strength and toughness on a cultist unit. And then we have also Miasma. 
So those are two support spells that are needed, and I just came down to which one was better than the actual list composition was Typhus or the Playcaster. Then we have free units of cultists in the build. And you're like, well, what, what, how are these cultists built up? Like, three different factions of cultists. And this current version I have is one unit of ten world leaders cultists just there for the negate spell. Just the pressure my, like, pressure mirror matches or elder list where they couldn't quite get in the right range to make their spells as efficient as they want to be. Then I have 40 Death Guard cultists. And the reason they're there is because it's a 40-man squad that also benefits from Abaddon that's going to be coming up soon. Okay. Then we have 30 uh, Emperor's Children cultists that have a really cool combo that you can do with them, but I'll explain later. Um, then we have two Foul Blight spawns in that battalion. And then we move on to a Supreme Command of Slanesh. And this one was really like the one that took me the hardest to figure out how to mid-max and make the right build. And it currently consists of, of Abaddon, a Dark Disciple from Emperor's Children. Uh, the Dark Disciples are also in a battalion up above. Uh, the mention that I forgot earlier. And then also the Contorted Epitome. So that is the list. All right, so let's take a step back before we get into all the combos and strategies and how this list works. Let's talk about how this list is legal. So you have a Heretic Astartes Battalion made up of Death Guard cultists, Emperor's Children cultists, World Eaters cultists, and then you have a Slanish detachment. Last mm -hmm. I checked, there was no Slanish Codex with Abaddon from Black Legion or Chaos yep. Space Marine Brother, the Epitome from Codex Demons, mm -hmm. and Armon from Thousand Sons. Oh, so, not Armon. It's uh, just a dark, dark. Uh, oh, it's a dark set. I'm sorry. Dark yeah, box. dark. Dark boss. So how how are we how are these attachments a thing? So the the Slanesh one is an easy one to explain because all the gods uh, for chaos are faction keywords. They're not little side keywords. They're not lesser keywords. They're actual faction keywords. And the rules for the attachment is you can have when building an attachment, you can have anything in that attachment as long as it shares a faction keyword that's not universally like you know chaos. Imperial and some of those ones, but a lot of these, so these super factions cannot be in the same detachment. Like you can't take all three codexes of Eldar and shove them in the one because that's the only faction here where they have involved. Where chaos is weird when as a super faction is that each of the gods are also faction keywords, so you can build a detachment out of those god keywords. And the Heretic Astartes is the same way. Heretic Astartes is a faction keyword of uh, that's a sub faction, and they can all suit together with that. Interesting. But so to do that, you don't have access to any of your strats because you're not like from a codex. You don't have any access to legion traits or anything like that. What benefit do you find by taking soup almost in like the the index days basically is what you're doing? So what happens is that first Emperor Children Battalion unlocks all the Chaos Space Marine strats that can cross over codex, such as like fight twice for corn units, um, Veterans of the Long War, and all those can affect, they can cross over codexes. So, like, I got already a page of stratagems. So, because your Emperor's Children attachment is a pure, ready to go Chaos Space Marine Emperor's Children attachment, you unlock all your Chaos Space Marine strats and all your Emperor's Children strats. And then you can use those strats on, say, Abaddon, who is three detachments down and a weird soup thing. Correct. That's really cool. I know these answers, these questions, but I'm asking for you guys, the audience. <laughs> no. So, all right. Now that we understand how your list works and how it functions legally, let's talk about what it does strategically. So you've thrown the, the playbook out for chaos players. The internet says noise brings is bad. The internet says cultists are outdated. Where's your thousand sons, Supreme Command? What are you doing? So the, the really the thing is this list is built around really one key strategy and then i can morph it around to doing some other little weird things but the core strategy that this get list will do like eight games out of ten uh will be be in the center of the board and just walk up it's generally going to be based on taking recon and ground control okay those are the two secondaries that i built the list ideal rounds the list is based around going from early game mid game late game transitions and those are pretty easy to understand if you go from the first two games being the early game, 3-4 being mid, 5-6 being late. And I built the list of transition to each of those phases of the game to try to make sure I can maximize it the best I could while getting the uses of these units in those phases of the game. 
Like the noise Marines are there really as a, we soften up screens were really scary. The max damage that you can do on the noise Marines with the plus one strength and damage veterans along war. There's a reroll wounds once per battle relic uh, for an aura from Emperor's children. You have Lucius, you shoot on death. It really threatens a lot of people early game. And what it does is it allows you to win deployment. It forces your opponent to deploy in such a way, but the rest of your list has an easier time getting in position for that mid and late game. So the noise Marines, that's their entire job, is to literally scare my opponent in the early game into a bad position. If they do damage, great. If they don't do damage, they really put him far behind. You can see this actually a couple times on the games uh, that we've done for both the War Room and Twitch, where Nick decided he was not going to hold an ejected because it was just too dangerous. And that's one of the reasons why, like, this, that's how that unit's supposed to roll. That's its job. Then we had the Cultists for the mid-game. The Cultists are all fearless because Abaddon gives a heretic Astartes fearless bubble for within 12 inches. So, like, when I have the Dark Disciple that generally goes 5-up inbound, so he gives all the Noise Rings in the early game a 5-up inbound, um, and all the Emperor's Children Cultists a 5-up inbound while they're within range, and you can cast Lack Flagonies on that Cultist unit. It makes them really hard to kill with a 5-up, five 5-up. Five and then they're also fearless. Then you have the, uh, I'm trying to say, Death Guard Cultists that are fearless, minus one to hit, and T4. So they're really hard to root around. And then that unit really traps you. It's hard to root that unit out. It's Not all the armies can just deal with that easily. Definitely when you consider that you have the epitome that can get in angles and hold things with these giant fearless cultist units that are very hard to kill in the mid game. While your characters move in the position and then the late game, that's where the characters where you have like Lucius the Eternal, the Darkness, I mean, the, the uh, Lucius the Eternal, the Demon Prince, Abaddon, the Mirror, uh, Foul Blight spawn, all of them do damage in the late game that really, you know, it's hard for your opponent to deal with. Definitely when they're going to tag in things, your opponent can't fall back and it gets kind of hard. Because my list secretly has a very low kill count because of all of it being fearless, but also it's hard to get the characters unless you're a very sniper-heavy build, which is kind of dropped off in the meta, which is one of the reasons why I expanded on this list and I was thinking about it more, uh, was for that reason was like you can kill – like it's hard to kill all those coldest and noise rains and getting kill more. If you're also giving up hold more and probably bonus because of how the noise rains in the early game push up onto you and then puts you in a really posi awkward position. Okay, so that's how that list overall strategy flows. But the thing is also how I have some cool tech in this matchup is I have some of the best counter assault in the game because in the matchups that I know my opponent can tag me, I can make it really hard for them to be able to do anything because if they fight into me, I can fight first. And that's really hard for some assault army units to deal with. Let's think of like Kraken Gene Stealers, Shining Spears. Uh, what's some other good examples, Nick? We haven't got to see all of them because we haven't got to play all the matchups with this list yet. Most armies, though. But if you have always strikes first, but there's Emperor's Children, Noise Rings and stuff, and I just slam into you with 20 Gene Stealers, you count as charging. I count as charging. But it's my turn since I'm charging you. Don't I just fight first and kill all of your Noise Marines? That's where the Foul Blight spawn comes in. Important part is the Foul Blight spawn says enemy units within seven inches at the start of the fight phase do not count as charging. So I, de I deploy very dense and very compact in my deployment zone to make sure that my entire army is underneath a Foul Blight spawn bubble are just unchargeable. So, so this what happens? You have Foul Blight spawn, right? So to basically deploy your army like a literal ball with very little space. So that I can't find a place as your opponent to come in and stand within an inch of some dude that's not in foul blight spawn range and pile in um, while being outside of six inches of the foul blight spawn. I mean, you're basically making it so I have to count as not charging while I charge into you, right? Yep. And then the noise rings have lots of cool abilities. Uh, if you're just horde models, they can kill you very effectively because every time they kill a model in per shoulder shot, they get another attack. They're going to be. They can vets. They can be rerolling hits from the Dark Disciple. I mean, Dark Apostle, if I feel like it's needed. Real ones from Lucius and the Demon Prince. Sixes to wounds are AP minus three, and they also have shock assault. And they have two attacks base, so they get a quite a hefty amount of attacks. And that's before their Overwatch. <laughs> Weren't they really just, uh, you know, like ten intercessors glued together? Like that's not insignificant, and that'll beat up something like Gene Stealers or Oryx, of course, with vets and whatnot. But it won't beat up anything like Centurions, for example. No. Not to talk about that match in specific, just trying to figure out what it can right. do. It's meant to stop those really fast finesse 
melee armies from just showing up at my front door or just running across the tabletop at me. So when I look at your army as your opponent, and or just a random stranger who comes across you in a tournament, I see three into ten noise marines in the neighborhood of 80 cultists and a whole lot of characters. What's stopping me from just taking my Eldar, Tau, Guard, Admech, some shooting army and just shooting you in the face and tabling you? Why doesn't that work? So why doesn't that work is because one thing is how the missions work. How you play 40k in the ITC and a lot of other places is, you know, controlling the center of the board is how you win the mission. And I'm also fearless, and so it's very hard to just, you have to kill every single model, which can be awkward because that Put your firepower in bad spots. Also, not everyone have the long-range firepower to maximize killing the army. Those who do don't have the counter-assault for when that late-game phase comes in with my characters. They don't have the counter-assault in the, the late-game and the mid-game. Oh, So what happens to those gunline armies is it looks like I'm taking a heavy beating in the early, and then I just eventually make contact with you and then just start fighting you, and you don't have enough counter-assault to contest all mine. Um, what That's do you really have for combat, though? I mean, I know Abaddon's a beat stick, but he's slow. Um, what else? Where does the combat come from? Am I missing something? So the mirror has a lot of combat. That's ten attacks from her, and it's all good. It's all decent AP, decent damage. Uh, Abaddon is a beat stick. We he's I, he has a high kill streak right now. It's kind of weird. Um, then we have the Demon Prince that it can be rerolling hits and wounds for the Emperor's Children Relic with Shock Assault. He's going to be. Eight attacks. If you give him Debolic Strength, that makes him Strength 9 with 9 attacks. Debolic Strength is actually a really key spell here for whatever character you need that's really dangerous. Uh, Lucius, actually in the list, acts a lot of time as the first torpedo to send in to make really hard plays on my opponent. That can They make really bad positioning plays where I can exploit them with a Lucius Eternal by sneaking in there with Honor the Prince. And Honor the Prince is the Emperor's Children's Stratagem where I can, after I roll my dice on the charge roll i could turn one of those six one of those dice into an automatic six so lucius with the ball strength if he goes after a key character with the ball strength up he has nine attacks at strength six minus three two damage and that's not counting his random shooting attacks that come in too they can are assault weapons um then we have the foul bite spawn that are just good at picking up characters in the early game i mean the late game they're they're throwing thunder hammers at you so what's happening is the early game is all about clearing up that shaft where I don't get bogged down uh, by with by my opponent's shaft against all my characters. So the coldest jobs and the noise range job is the tiresome thing is to clear out the early game, get my get make it a good clear path for my characters. I think one thing that um, maybe you don't see because you're on your perspective, but as the opponent of this list, I've played it many many times. Um, it's very hard for you to just want to shoot Mike's army because what happens is you can't move forward with your troops to go claim objectives and then plan to shoot Mark in the shooting phase. All those noise marines shoot when they die. So they will kill all of your chaff, giving up kill more to Mark in the middle of your own turn, screwing up your plans in the middle of your own turn. You have to sequence your shooting very carefully. And if the objectives are ever placed in the open, which a lot of ITC missions now place, player place objectives, so Mark can kind of force them in the open places. Um, he can basically make it so that if you want to hold an objective of attempt to hold more, attempt to hold the same, which is very hard to pull off against the list, you get shot in the face. So what ends up happening is you have to hide your army out of line of sight and kill Mark with just your really long-range firepower or your indirect shooting, that kind of stuff. And that's, there's generally speaking, not that much of it. Um, also, the, with the strats you have, Mark, with the... Uh, the once per game relic that Empress Children have, which is a reroll to wound aura, is that right? How does that work? Yeah, that's, so instead of doing your prayer, you pop it at the start of the battle round and you reroll all wounds for this game turn, uh, which means for all your for all shooting, right? For all all wound rolls, period, shooting and melee. Even better. So, so sonic blasters. Do you ever pump pop that at the beginning? Like, let's say your opponent's going first. Do you pop it at the start of the battle round in, in anticipation for him shooting you to death? I have done it in some of the earlier test games. I have learned in some of the matches that I didn't have to do it, but I am not scared to do that because that also just puts my opponent under more pressure if I do it in an early game. Mer- noise range rerolling wound rolls is really scary because that's one of the things that they don't have a lot. Of, like the rerolling wound rolls, them only being strength four makes it kind of awkward, but with the rerolls, it really boosts that up by a lot and it just makes them that much more effective at killing troops. Right, right. 
So what ends up happening is also because you're you're trying not to really let Mark just shoot you to death with these rerolling the wound bets, press and shoot twice noise marines. You're trying not to get shoot when he dies. So you're trying to kill these noise marines without giving up anything while you're at it, which is difficult for a lot of armies. Uh-huh. It's also if you're doing that, it's especially hard to get even kill a unit because unless you have enough firepower to like indirectly kill a 10 man noise marine unit or 30 cultists, which most armies don't have, especially because that five up interval, you have to divert firepower away to that stupid 10 man world leader cultist squad, which is an easy kill, especially yep. if you take something like first strike. So what often happens, and I found myself in the receiving end of this, is Mark will easily get hold, hold more bonus turn one without killing unit, because if, if I hide my army out of range or out of line of sight, not much sonic blasters in close combat can do about that. That means maybe I'll hold an objective, but I'm going down three to one on primary unless I get a kill, kill more, which is an easy place to start. So I'll shoot up the 10-man cultist squad. But unless I kill all 10, they're fearless. It's not They're going. fearless. They're not going anywhere. And that only makes it more awkward. Yeah, I have to really, like, two cultists live, and I have to shoot a whole other Thunderfire cannon type of thing at it. Okay, yep. I killed those ten cultists. Got kill, kill more, and I held an objective. So we're tied on primary. I'm keeping pace. I'm not getting started at all on the things no. that actually matter. The noise marines are the large cultist groups. It's like, just replay turn one over again, but it's actually turn two. Because you're not getting any crazy, like, you're doing that, but you're not doing any significant damage to my army that matters. Right. Now, then there's also the argument you can make about, I want to shoot the noise marines or the cultists, the large squads, just to get started. You know, I'm not playing this points race game. I'm just getting going into you. And that's fine. And you'll get through Mark's army faster. But one of the really cool things about Mark's list is that it, it plays like chaos in the new ITC mission, meaning it's designed to score 10,000 points during the 10,000 exaggeration, of course, but to score <laughs> tons and tons of points during the course of the game. Even if you get table by turn five, you might be up 30 to 10 on that scoreboard, and then it doesn't matter. It's, it's just, exactly. Because it's okay. based around those first four turns. of The first three turns, the whole idea is just get high points. Turn four, we start to lose some fuel, and then turn five and six, hold on for dear life. <laughs> so that That's, makes another interesting point. Earlier in this podcast and in your games that we played in the War Room and on Twitch – you, you say you like basically always take ground control. Now, sometimes that's worked out if you do bowling ball through your opponent and then you table him. That's happened to me. Um, but like in our last game on Twitch where I played my sisters against you, you ran out of stuff. You didn't get a single point on ground control. When do you think it's right and wrong to take that secondary? And why do you take it so often? So here's the reason why I take it. Um, and built with the list, even though I know that I may not get a lot off of it, is my opponent knows I have it. And so it forces them to want to try to play an early, a late game strategy, which is good for me because that means I mitigate the early game as much as possible. Even though in that last game, I actually got zero points off of it. But me having it means that you had to start either killing me or you had to make risky plays to make sure you get your ground controls. Also, or if I just didn't get any points off of it in the late game, I may just push you so hard into you that you couldn't have stopped me from walking on top of you. Maybe I just killed enough or I pushed forward enough that I put you so far behind on the primary that my late game pieces just stood there. So it's either if I took it, I either my strategy executed perfectly and it didn't ground control didn't matter. Or if it did matter, um, what generally happened was my opponent did not uh, counter assault into me, did not push back into me at some point in the game. And I got points still. Uh, because I sat there and I did, he didn't take the risky plays of trying to kill me. I just sit in the middle and just hold out as long as possible because maybe they didn't have enough indirect fire and so forth like that. It's one of those things where I take it as a, if I get max points on this, that means I've dominated most of the game. Okay. If I don't get any real points off of it, that probably means that my early game was so strong that I was able to just make up for it. I took some riskier plays in the early game because in the first three turns of the game, uh, my opponent just couldn't do nothing about my army, and I just got four to five points every single turn. And that was a really good winning position. It was one of those things I'm like, it's going to come in this position. It's going to really help me out if my opponent doesn't fight back at me eventually. And if I don't, my opponent decides to fight back at me, then I'm probably in a better winning position. I'll probably get it then. Interesting. Yeah, so it's almost like you're hedging your bets. If you get tabled, it's okay because you've already scored so many points. If you don't get tabled, 
you haven't scored as many points because you're not playing your army as aggressively, but now you have access to ground control to make up. Yep. Make is a backup strategy kind of like too. Cool. Cool. So I see how your army dominates the table and is hard to interact with for combat armies and for shooting armies alike. But what, how do you, you know, Sonic blasters as great as they are, they're still only 24 inches and they're, even with three rolls to wound, plus one wound, they don't have any AP. They're just not going through two-up saves or toughness eight, for example, that effectively. So what if someone brings in, like, the heavy stuff? Knights, exorcists, centurions, without getting too much of specific, we'll save that for part two. Um, just generally speaking, something that isn't going to just die like some guardsmen or sisters or scouts trying to hold an objective. Something big, bulky, and tough. How do you handle that? Just walking forward, shoot when you die. I don't care. I'm just going to shoot you anyway. So one thing is that reroll wounds is really important. But also, remember that the list has either four or six Blastmasters. And the Blastmasters can pump out a huge amount of damage uh, with the stratagem for plus one strength and damage. Um, because that makes the high-volume shots, like if they're hitting you on twos or prescience, that's 2d6. If I double shoot, that's 4d6 number of shots. At strength five, minus two, ignore cover, two damage at reroll wounds, hitting on twos, rerolling. And then plus one of wound because of veterans also. Or it's 4d3, uh, strength nine, minus two, ignore cover, d3 plus one damage. With the same case, plus one to wound, rerolling wounds, and hitting on twos, rerolling. Uh, so what happens is I'm able to wear out some hard targets really early on if I can. Or if my opponent doesn't put them out there, then they're probably not hammering me also. But if they are, then I have enough Blastmasters spread out where... You have to focus out a noise marine squad all the way down because those are always going to be the last two guys to die. Oh, and I can wear you out that way. And then if you have a critical mass amount of it, that's when it comes down to noise marines, wear you out, cu- kill a couple down. Uh, and then late game, that's where Abaddon, the Demon Prince, but a reeling, the Demon Prince is reeling hits and wounds. Uh, st- characters are just really hammering down on those vehicles in the late game. Enough, though, make sure that the noise marines can try to do as much damage to those heavy targets early on, therefore my late game characters can k- come clean up. Um, yeah, I, I gotcha. Um, really, just the Blastmasters are there to get you by and then get your characters yep. in position. That's also where the cultists come in, too. You said they were like a mid-game piece or after the noise marines kind of go down type of thing. Mm-hmm. The internet says the cultists are bad. You know, They can't use vets. They don't get legion traits. Why are we running cultists? This is a 20 So they actually can get vets. They just don't get legion trades and stuff like that. Um, but what happens is the points went down. So it's really important for that part. Is like It goes with the Abaddon Fearless, where most people's firepower can't deal with a lot of cultists that have decent buffs on them. They get kind of obnoxious, and it's easy for those guys to trap you. So the Death so Guard ones of, are – What kind of buffs do you put on them? And why do you have Death Guard and Emperor's Children? What, what so that's to maximize the bus that I can put on two cultist units. Also, the Death Guard cultists never got the nerf to go down the only 30 man's max. They can still be a 40 man. Okay. So the 40 man cultist squad is joining for the Death Guard is joining my big screen. Um, and they just wrap all around to get Miasma minus one toughness on them from the Plague Caster or Typhus. Uh, and they're still getting fearless from Abaddon. And that's uh, just a hard unit to shift. Uh, in positions, when you're trying to deal with other things, are they trapping you in awkward positions? They attack a tank, a drop pod, a random infantry man, something like that. It's a really awkward thing for your opponent to try to root out. Um, and then they're also just screening out the entire backfield. And how I can pick up my casualties means I can mitigate your firepower into them also. Because say if I have them strung out into like a giant U, my opponent's double tapping on both sides. Well, the first side double taps. I pick up the other dudes on the other side out of double tap. Makes them really hard to get maximum firepower on them for those anti-infantry weapons. Also, one thing is Tides of Traitor still affects them because it's a Heretic Astarte stratagem. So the Tides of Traitor can be a, is one of my things where each match, which one's better to bring out. I'm still trying to figure out that myself. I'm still experimenting. I'm still learning. Um, the Death Guard are definitely the stronger screen. They're a lot more dudes. They also just – they're a lot tougher in certain matchups because that T4 minus one to hit can really put a – really put a hard thing on someone else's plan for just trying to kill cultists. Uh, the Emperor's Children cultists, where they have that Tides of Traitor, they're generally used as a screen, but they can be also used as a little bit of a hammer unit just to wear out softer targets or just to 
honor the prince and tides a traitor. And how that works is after you took in some casualties and I forced you to deal with them a little bit, there's like a couple dudes left. I tied to traitor you, bring you on a board edge. If I declare a charge, and after I roll that charge roll, I can turn one of those dice into a six with honor the prince from Emperor's Children. Um, and that makes it really hard to fail a charge out from outflank. And what happens is, is I generally can have to roll a three on either of your two dice, right? Because then no matter what the other dice is, three plus six is nine. I make it. Yep, exactly. Oh, uh, so that's like, you know, with a CP, that's free rolls to try to roll a free, and then I just turn someone into a six. So that's a very, very reliable. I've actually failed it twice with the CP reroll, but that's for another time. <laughs> um, so that's one of the sneaky plays that opponents like leave little screens out and like bad positioning. What happens is in the, in the early game, say they kill all the noise marines, and what happens is they probably killed that 10 man cultist by then now is. The Honor of the Prince cultist that will screen out some characters will go grab something, tra trap it. Or if it has fly, what happens is I put pushing the epitome up and they start grabbing things. And they could also grab flyers that way too. I can still consolidate in two flyers with the um, cultist. And then the epitome can walk around and say, you can't fall back. You crash and burn. Um, so that's one little trick, guys. To make sure if you didn't know that. Yeah, and just generally speaking, having these larger blocks like 34-man cultists, 40-man cultists, and the epitome, it's very similar to how the Plague Bearers and Thousand Suns list used to work uh, last year, where basically large blocks of Plague Bearers would try to trap you in close combat so characters could stand behind it. This is really no different. Large blocks of cultists trying to trap you with the epitome so that characters can stand behind it. And yep. it's not even so much about, you know, back then they would cast Smite Spam at you, and that's perfectly viable through Armon and Demon Princess and Thousand Suns. Mark is just trying to stand all over the table. Well, getting hold more bonus. He's perfectly content. Max recon done. Yep. I'm just sitting there stalling out, and eventually, if you decide you need to push into me, then my characters can just walk back and slap you. They can just counter slap. I guess I can call it. Sometimes it feels like a real good punch. Sometimes it just feels like I did nothing. <laughs> um. So that's one way. What that list is. What happens is like when those two cultist units make it to the mid game, and all my smaller targets have been killed. It's really hard to get a kill on my list sometimes. Definitely if what the two cultist units have trapped something valuable and there's just no good way to get a max damage unit onto that unit while killing all of them. It's just it's very awkward. So I can very easily get that turn three, turn four, possibly kill, kill more because my opponent just can't get to the juicy characters yet. Uh, and he can't kill all the cultists. On our Twitch channel where I was using sisters, um, there was, I think, around turn three, I actually went zero on primary didn't kill a unit didn't even hold an objective yeah, it was turn for your turn four i can't remember because you failed to kill like three more cultists and you're just like well but it just goes to show the power of the list it's just like holding objectives is such a dangerous proposition because mark can shoot you when he dies so your offense has to be very particular or he can trap you in close combat make his whole army unshootable and just just walk up the table and skid so if the objective is like i didn't have one like deep in my corner because we were playing mission number three of the itc where the objectives are kind of placed neutrally. Um, it was really, really hard for me. Sorry, it's mission number two. Mission but, two, yeah. Because um, yeah, we get really to place the ones me. in our opponent's deployment zone. Yeah, so Mark placed the one that he had to place in mine really, really far forward, basically in the open on the edge. So if I was to hold it, I'd be instantly killed by noise marines or wrath by cultists. Either way, it's really bad. And I just, there's not much I can do as far as interacting with them aside from trying to kill units. Once I kill those quick little 10-man cultist squads, now it's quite difficult for me to kill you. I can go all in and try to kill noise marines, um, but if I do that, they're shooting me when I die and giving up kill more. It's not really a net gain. Yep. On that note, let's talk about noise marines and their shooting when they die. There is a lot of janky tricks you can do with that. I think we should highlight them since they're part of. The, it's one of those rules that basically no other unit in the game acts like it. Um, with the shooting when you die to this degree, and it, it can really mess with how things work. So why don't you go into that? So one thing that really hurts up with people's plans is you can soften people up in your shooting phase. And then some of those units that you damaged, they can't just throw those units forward. And they can be in threat range, and I may just kill them during my shooting phase. So if I soften up a whole bunch of targets, what happens is I kill those units in my opponent's shooting phase to mitigate more firepower instead of hammering out one or two key units. So I'll sit there and say, I'm like, okay, there's like 10 guardsmen squads in front of me, or like 80 is like the normal number. Uh, I would not shoot into like a couple guardsmen squad and just kill them dead. I would look at like all of them and say, "Here's like two noise marines on this one, two noise marines on this one, two noise marines on this one," and do all that. Soften those units up, 
push forward at the same time. And if my opponent kills him, then I'm just going to pick apart those other no those units and try to maximize that damage. And that makes it really awkward for your opponent to one thing is screen for his following turn because he doesn't he, if he throws screens in front of him to try to protect himself from like the noise marines or the uh, cultists. What happens is those screens can get killed during your turn, which really set which is really bad. Uh, because then has my army can just keep walking forward and then you can have a bad tide to trader set up where if you left the artillery piece or send up a key units where I can tag, uh, it also just means you can't grab objectives. I can also shoot you off your objectives. You have to put characters on objectives with like one or two units in front of you to make sure I don't accidentally kill you off your hold or your hold more if you can try to contest it. Um, and also it means I can kill one or two targets. If I want to, and while I'm pushing forward, you can sit there. I'm like, well, you only killed one, maybe two. I'll try to kill a noise marine squad and that ten man cultist. Maybe I'll try to steal to kill more, but that means you can't hold an objective in because if you put a hold an objective out there, try to hold something, I'll probably kill that unit in my shooting uh, during your movement phase. I mean, during your shooting phase, and I may take your hold away and steal a kill uh, more from you. So you have to really be careful with that because it also can set up where if you don't put enough screens in front of characters, if you put like one or two, you're like, okay, well, I'll be fine with this currently because you only have free units that can shoot me during your turn. Is how the each dude resolves separately as I declare each one targets into each because they each resolve separately because that's how the mechanics of the game rolls at the one dice at a time technically. So one noise marine dies, he shoots this one. The next two noise marines die, we kill that squad. And then all the other noise marines, let's say the two blastmasters, the last one to pick up, they can shoot that character that was hiding behind that unit. Or they can sometimes, the Blastmasters, you can pick up the Blastmasters early. And if there's like a wounded tank that you earned early and you have a unit inside that you want to kill, try to kill that tank. And then the guys, and if they kill the guys, the rest of the noise marines, I shoot the guys that got out of the tank that I couldn't deal with. And that could really put a damper on someone's plan. Yeah, it's so hard to plan against it. I do have. I do want to also go over the noise marine tricks with close combat. You've gotten me good a couple of times in our games. But before we do that, let's just take a quick break to have a word from our sponsors. Sponsors! This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And now that we're back, um, so yeah, Mark, you, you have tons and tons of tricks with the Noise Marines and Close Combat shenanigans. Um, do you... The, the highlight of this game is like when my Repentia charged in is what I'm thinking, and I killed a few, and then the rest of them shot outwards. Do you want to explain kind of how that works? So one thing is when you're in close combat is you pick up one model at a time, and then eventually once you pick up a couple dudes out of close combat with you, you can then start shooting out of close combat. Even though those next five models are dying, you pick them up one at a time, then the units no longer engage, then it can shoot like normal. So if you engage me, I pick up the dudes that were engaged with you, and then the rest of them also died still. They can now shoot something else that's not engaged with them. So that can really that, – that's hurt with people's plans and so forth. Uh, like sometimes I did one game where like someone engaged me with a knight. I chart they I unengaged the knight with my casualties, and then the rest of them shot this other baby knight that was at four wounds, and I killed it during his – that was 24 inches away during his fight phase with my shooting. And that was awkward. So you can do tricks like that, and you have to be really aware and make sure of it is. It's what I'm trying to sit there and say. It's just something that you need to be super aware of, but being able to not set yourself up any soft targets. Because if you show just a little bit of weakness to a noise marine unit, they'll exploit it as hard as they can. Definitely when if I pop that reroll wounds that turn, the turn that I expect them to take casualties or I can maximize my fighting, my shooting on death, it can really hurt. The best thing to fight them is artillery. <laughs> yeah, it's why the three thunder fires I have in my sisters are the bane of your existence. I imagine they make me work so much harder. I actually have to sink. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So your list seems very, very designed for the ITC format and very optimized for that. 
Is there? Do you think it would work well in like the Nova format or an ETC style event? Uh, yes, because the terrain how it's set up is I can play a little bit more defensively there, but more aggressively also at the same time. Because I could take progressives and then still dominate those progressives early games, and my opponent can't take progressive against my style of list. Uh, they have to risk the end game, which if they take the end game, but I'm just like, okay, I'll t- I'll try to fight you in the end game if I chose end game for my own reasons, or if you took progress, if I took progressives and you took end game, but I'm like, cool. Well, all I have to do is make sure I max out my my uh, my progressives, and then what happens is I'll start playing real defensively for that end game. The t- focus on countering yours because I have lots of characters I can just sit on objectives that are quite deadly. I can just it's a 40 millimeter race. Abaddon sits on this objective. You can't get within range of that scoring of that objective without getting heroic by Abaddon. And that can be really awkward. Or a foul blight spawn shooting you and stuff like that. So Nova felt very like I would love to do some more like do some Nova with this list because it plays generally pretty good 40k. And I feel like this list can still do that. Uh, ETC is something I would love to play and to test out a little bit with this list. I feel like it will be an interesting one in there because I have the train set up a little bit more. But also the leapfrogging from terrain and miniature L's and big L's will be interesting. Because I'm still a CC army with a splash of shooting. That just happens to be very awkward good shooting. Uh, Warzone, very much Warzone is control the center, fight for these objectives, and win those first couple early games, and you'll be pretty good. Are the late game elements is the same as Nova's? I still have good characters for late game sitting on objectives. I right. Design list generally for me is like, I'll maximize it for this build, or maybe most of its play is like, hey, I'll primarily play this format. But for the most part, fundamentally good 40K missions all play similar key roles, just the technicals are different. Yeah, definitely. If your army is designed to kill the other guy and stay on the objectives, and as we say, that is essentially what 40K is all about. So whether or not you can specifically get recon points or just hold objectives for Maelstrom or whatever it might be, if you're able to control the middle of the board and kill the other guy, you're probably in pretty um one other question i have on the subject though your army is one where if you, you you might get tabled in the games or pretty close to it but you'll win anyway in formats that allow you to like wtc nova and itc um where a lot of the game is scored progressively and then if you're tabled you just count up your points and see who wins it's not like you auto lose do you think this type of army wouldn't succeed in a format that has a mainly end game sort of mechanic requiring you to be well and healthy at the end of the game so if it means that I need to be well and healthy during the uh, late game and just have some stuff living, is then I have to change how I play strategically. What happens is I may change some technical stuff to the list. I'm trying to make it a little bit more tankier and just some of the characters I would choose or how the unit sizes are. Uh, but also I'd play probably a little less, def- little less aggressively, a little bit more defensively. Therefore, I can mitigate that early game damage that my opponent can do to me because the early game doesn't matter as much as the late game. And I'll just try to push where those critical turns of like turn five or six, where normally the cultists are there for the mid game, the cultists then will try to serve, like try to make sure with those first two turns, I did take a whole lot of damage. Noise Marines try to dominate the early game, and then my cultists jump out onto the last couple turns to try to grab objectives with character support. Gotcha. Awesome. So before we close it out over here. Um... I just want to kind of go over generally how you pregame spend your CPs. I know it's, of course, matchup dependent, so let's get into that specifically next episode. But if there's general rules of thumb for psychic powers, you always take CP, you always spend relics, you always buy, that kind of thing. What do those look like? So this list actually doesn't spend a whole lot of CP early game. Uh, I experimented with the combat drugs, and I just did not find like, like – it would be very situational if I found use out of them, and the noise rings were just not a good use out of them, I think. Uh, unless you had one giant block and your list was built around one giant block, that's not the case for me. Um, so generally, Abaddon is my warlord. The reason why is because like he still unlocks uh, relics from Chaos Face Marines, so I can still get the relics that I need to uh, for the key matchups and tools. But he also gives me two CP, which was just more useful than all the Emperor's Children warlord traits that I could find. Uh, the extra two CP just means uh, that means another endless canophony. That means I shoot again, or I interrupt, so forth. He also gives himself depths of false emperor on fives, so that can really make him getting twenty attacks pretty easily. Like twenty one, I think, is the average that he gets on. Uh, blah blah blah. 
on Imperial units because this is rerolls, demon weapon, the ball strength, possibly all and prescience if prescience is thrown in there also. That just makes it worse. Um, so yeah, he's getting exploding attacks on fours because they all stack together. Yes, and then it's just like, well, why did my why did Abaddon just get nine? Went to twenty something hits on a knight. That's not okay. <laughs> um, okay, that's what that. The knights. <laughs> um, so. That's where that really kind of plays out for that part for Abaddon's role. Then I actually the generally the relic I take. So the two default relics I take is the Demon Prince reroll hits and wounds from her children, or the banner for the uh, Dark Apostle to reroll wounds once per game, uh, for a battle rounds. And those are the two ones that I generally default. One my one of them are going to be my free one. If I don't take, uh, I don't. I've come down to sometimes taking one, but sometimes I felt like I just didn't need the other one. I've gone into a couple matches where I've actually just not had a good time to use the reroll wounds, so I didn't do, use it. Do you ever take the the slant each claws that give you basically a demon weapon lightning claw? No, because the re like what happens is the Emperor's Children Relic makes it better than those claws are. So the claws replace your what your talons, so you don't get the extra attacks from it. So you don't get the extra free attacks for having the two talons. So it starts off at four or five with shock assault, six with the ball strength, and then a d6. Oh, if you it's roll not one, the it's normal seven attack to your prince plus one yes. shock assault plus. Yeah. And then that oh, means no. I, I get less attacks and I get real wounds. Then what happens is that Emperor's Children Relics means I can reroll my hit. So if you're Imperial, I'm just going to reroll everything, try to get Death to the False Emperor, stuff like that with prescience. But also I'm rerolling my wounds. I'm getting reroll hits and wounds and reroll charge rolls on that dude for that one relic versus the Lightning Claws that could just give me reroll wounds and. Possibly less attacks. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I didn't realize that interaction could actually cost you attacks. That's pretty clever. Yeah, it's it's awesome. like cool, cool of Lord Demon Prince, not so much. Yeah, um, awesome. Um, I think the last question I have. I know I said about the last question, but this is the real last one. Before we move to on to part two and talk about matchups, which will be really exciting because Chaos is one of those armies that has so much adaptability through their layers and layers of powers and stratagems and relics and whatnot. And the combo. Then Mark and Strange's strategy literally game to game. So part two is going to be epic, guys. Don't miss us in there for the patrons. But why are you taking Lucius? The world must know. Ah! Lucius? Sorry. I'm being possessed a little bit. Um, so Lucius is originally put in the list because at one point I didn't have a demon prince. I needed to reroll one for the noise rings. So he went in there as a funny meme. Let me try him out. And then I'm like, wait, you're 85 points now. You're like a Chaos Lord for 10 more points with a whole bunch of free Relic character stuff. And then I'm like doing the math on like his actual damage output, and he can do a lot of hurt. So he has more attacks than an average Lord. He has a Relic he has a relic, uh, or like a Mastercrafted Power Sword where it's 2 damage at strength 4 minus 3. He's still an S, so he always fights first. He sadly only has a 5 of Invul, not a 4 like a regular Lord. But he has a cool rule where every time he makes a saving throw... On a 4-up, he does a Mortal Wound back. So that could be really awkward. He's a smaller base, so it's e easy to interwine him into models because uh, Emperor's Children have a 6-inch heroic intervention stratagem. So he can easily, like if you join my noise range, he can just heroic inches into an angle and get good counter-assaults off uh, with him. And he's also Emperor's Children, so he interacts with the Foul Blight spawn the same way where if you charge me in the late game and my Foul Blight spawn is right behind Lucius, I'll fight first. And if he swings all his attacks on a single character, he gets plus two attacks. With Debolic Strength on the charge, that's nine attacks. Uh, Reloading one, so Debolic Strength makes him strength six, minus three, two damage. On a solo character, can really hurt. And that's not counting Death of Falls Emperor and possibly a Prescience play. And you can warp time him. And then what happens is when you do the warp time, you're like, well, that's still move six. And you, you can may, maybe not make it as far as you can. You can honor the Prince him to auto-roll a 6 after you roll the dice. So it's not unreliable to make a 10-inch charge with them. Uh, we already know the 9s are really hard to make, uh, are really hard to fail. So like he can make these out-on-long-range torpedo plays and just do damage to like a key character or a key unit, and he's cheap enough that don't really lose too much. He also has random shooting attacks that are good. He has a sonic. He has a flamer that strength 5, ignore cover, minus 2, 1 damage. And his it's whip just good is, utility. Yeah. Really is. Yeah, for like 80 points, it's just find me a better Chaos character than the 80-point price point. Yeah. And unless you need a specific character like to cast Psychic Power 
you know, that's fine. You're taking care to fulfill a role. But as far as a value for dollar or value for point character goes, he's pretty actually quite good. Yep. He's he's done some whooping before. He's killed what was it? What was it Saint Celestine and um once oh, and then died to her. Even he died to her the second time. But he killed look, Chaos. Uh, that Lord Lowell, a uh, captain. That same ter- or oh, that same turn coming up. Word so he, nice. He killed like half of my shining spears that one game. <laughs> he did. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, if you are interested in seeing any of those games that we are referencing, they are all on our Twitch channel, Twitch.tv/aow40k, where we play games every. Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on every Sunday. Uh, also, we have a bunch of old games in the room, War Room, where we do coaching games and break down all our games for you. Mark and I are both the primary coaches for that kind of stuff. Um, if you liked Mark's list and you want help from him, you can, of course, access him on theartofwar40k.com. He is one of our coaches, or even sign up for his coaching. Lastly, don't forget to be signed up for our Patreon. Um, that's where you get access to part two and the rest of Mark's crazy brain ideas. So that, along with 42 other episodes of content, are hidden behind that. So much content. Like, like, come on, guys. Like, It's cheaper than Netflix, and you get so much more good stuff on there. Um, so I think that just about wraps us up, and we will see you all later. Bye! Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K. Dot com, where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. Connect. On Facebook, just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.